as they come, we're at the character quality of N for God. What are some N words for God? Not as easy as some of them. Is he near? Nigh unto us? Any other words that come to your mind? I wrote down nurture, never-ending, name above all names, noble. Just a few that came to my mind. Okay, well, good morning to each one of you. What's today? Christmas. And what does Christmas mean? The Lord's birthday. Do you all have birthdays? Anthony has a birthday tomorrow. Nelson has a birthday Saturday. Gordy has a birthday Saturday. We all have birthdays, don't we? You have a birthday? Okay. Yes? Yeah, your birthdays are on Tuesday. I saw that in the book, too. Yes. Very good. So I have a little story this morning about Christmas. Because there's a sermon by request, not necessarily today, but the sermon that is for today is, which tent are you living in? Do you ever sleep in a tent? And it's dealing with being content or being discontent. I'm going to read you a story about Helen. Helen's different Christmas. I'm so tired of their very same things on Christmas, complained Helen. Could things be a little different sometimes? They could, said Aunt Rose, who had come to spend Christmas. If you ask Mother to let you go riding with me this afternoon, I'll show you places where Christmas is very different from the kind of which you complain. Oh, thank you, Aunt Rose. I'm sure I should like that, cried Helen. Aunt Rose worked among the poor people, trying to make their sad lives a little brighter, and it hurt her to hear her niece complaining about her blessings. So after lunch, Mother, Aunt Rose, and Helen got into the car and were soon driving along the beautiful streets and past the stores, all cheerful with Christmas holly and decorations, and overflowing with toys and gifts. They finally came to a poor and ugly little street. They left the car and entered a very shabby apartment house. Up the rickety stairs they climbed, Aunt Rose leading the way until they came to a room where a pale mother lay in a bed, and a girl of Helen's age, with a baby in her arms, was trying to entertain two little ones. Helen could see at a glance that there was no gifts, no Christmas decorations, and no good things to eat in this home. Aunt Rose spoke to the mother, promising to send her some blankets and medicine, and then she gave the children a basket of food she bought for them. The older sister took charge of that basket, and in a womanly manner she stopped their scrambling for food, gave each of them a piece of cake, put the rest of it out of their reach. It would be so nice, it will be so nice for Christmas, ma'am, she said, her pale face brightening. Presently Aunt Rose and Mother said goodbye and all went back down the rickety, dirty stairs again. Helen had not said a word. 
She was crying as they got back into the car. Well, Helen, how do you like their different Christmas? Asked Aunt Rose. Oh, Aunt Rose, I never knew people could be so miserably poor. And at Christmas time, too. Mama, please send them what you would have given to me. And let me go without anything. I have so much already, and they have nothing. We'll bring them a Christmas basket and some warm clothing for those shivering little children, said Helen's mother, well pleased to see her daughter beginning to think of others. And we will remember, she added, that this is the birthday of Jesus, who gave the greatest gift of all, himself, for us. We will try to make it a happy day for some of his little ones. And so with this thought, Helen founded a different Christmas. Indeed, a different Christmas and a far happier one than she had ever spent before. What do you think? Did you give up your Christmas gifts for somebody that doesn't have anything? Let's pray. God, I thank you for these children. Thank you for the blessing they are to these families. I pray they grew up to love and serve you and to trust you for every provision in their life. Help them to love you because you've done so much for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may go back to your parents. I think we all have lived in a, or have been in a tent before, most of us. Some of them weren't quite sure. Maybe they weren't. Uh, maybe we have thought this would be the greatest thing to tent. And then we found out the next morning it really wasn't as good as we thought it would have been. And maybe it was the uh, ground we had chosen to pitch it on. Maybe it was raining and the tent leaked. Maybe it was hot. Well, which tent am I living in? The title of the message is, Which Tent Do You Live In? Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Not that I speak in respect of want, Paul speaking, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Contentment or discontentment. Paul is saying here that he has learned contentment. It is not something that is natural to us because we are selfish by nature. 
And we can see that this time of the year, where people are very selfish, can be very selfish, but we also see people that are very giving. Paul said that sometimes he's abased or brought very low in bad circumstances, but there's other times when he is abounding, having enough for his own needs and some to share with others. Sometimes he's full, sometimes he's hungry, sometimes he suffers need. He's teaching us here not to be distressed, but trust God, not to complain, but to be thankful. He says in verse 13, I can. That's a disposition that he's stating, I can face these circumstances. I can submit to the conditions that I'm in by the strength of the Lord. And if we remember well, in 2 Corinthians, Paul had a whole list of things that he had faced in his life, shipwreck and being stoned and all those things that were things that we would say he should have been discouraged about. He found himself trusting God through those circumstances, and he says, I can, I have learned. How did he learn that? He learned that by looking at the eternal things instead of just looking at the present situation. In the scriptures, there's four different times that I find that it says we should be content. Let's turn to Luke chapter 3, verse 14. John the Baptist is speaking here. And he says that we are to be content with our wages. He's talking here about the change that comes in your heart when you give your life over to God. Of course, Jesus was still not the one in ministry, but John is. And in John chapter 3, verse 80 says, to those he was preaching to, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. But he said, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And then he goes and he has questions in verse 11. People were asking him, verse 10, what shall we do then? If this is true that we are to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance, what shall we do? And he said in verse 11, somebody has two coats, impart to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him give. What does that do for our covetous nature? What does the offering plate passed around on Sunday morning do for our covetous nature? Give a little bit of our covetousness away every time we give to someone? He's saying, if you are a changed person, this is what you can do. In verse 12, the publican said, said Master, what should we do? He said, uh, you as tax collectors, don't exact more than that's appointed to you. Verse 14, to the soldiers who asked the question, what should we do? He said to them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. 
That speaks to us in this area of being content or discontent. Have you ever gone to a boss and asked for a raise? Is it appropriate for a Christian to go to their boss and ask for a raise? I'm not saying yes or no. I'm saying that the attitude by which we go probably matters more than the yes or no. But can we trust God to help us make it with the wage that we have? John the Baptist was teaching a new way. He says, don't murmur. Don't be in a continual state of discontentment about your wage. This is a sin. This doesn't go along with a converted person. This is not a fruit of repentance. So be content with your wage. Now there's times that we need something else, and we're not talking about that kind of discontent. We need something else, but we're talking about living in a state of discontentment. We're always wanting what somebody else has or more than what we have. That's not to be a part of our godly lifestyle. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13 where he gives another one of the four times about being content. He says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, Let your conversation or your way of life be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So one, be content with your wages. Secondly, be content with your possessions. Did you ever notice? The older you get, the more you have, and the more you need a store, and the more you need to walk around, and the more you need to guard it. We should not be intently focused on what we have. Sometimes it'd be good if there would be a loss of it. Somebody would walk off with some of it. The Bible says that our life is not in what we can accumulate. Job found out it wasn't what he had that mattered. It's what his spirit was like. Are you a hoarder? Do you squirrel away belongings? I squirreled away a piece of pipe for about 15 years, and this week I found out how to, where to use it. But they say if you haven't used something in six months, you should throw it away or get rid of it. Well, is there a balance in that? But does, does my discontentment show in what I tried to accumulate. Success in life is never measured in material wealth. Some people suppose that having more says that it's more godly. God has blessed you. Well, he has blessed us. He's given us many, many things. We're coming toward the end of the year. We're evaluating the year and saying, what has God blessed us with? And 
And what do I want as some goals for the next year? Well, is gaining material things always a sign of God's blessing? I don't believe it is. There are things that happen when that is my intent to just gain. The Bible says that the children of Israel just wanted and wanted and wanted. They lusted after foods and they lusted after things in the wilderness. And God gave them their request, but he sent leanness in their soul. And something happens when a perspective is on our possessions. How about 1 Timothy chapter 6? Verses 8 through 12. 1 Timothy 6. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in their destruction and in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. We brought nothing into this world, and we're not going to carry anything out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. So, I'm making that as the third point of us and our basic needs being supplied. Are our basic needs supplied? If we were in Haiti or we were in Ukraine today, what would our basic needs be? Or do I always want more than my basic need? <clears throat> and I chomp about that. Or am I willing to accept these are the things God has given and appreciate what God has given? to us. Covetousness destroys us. The scriptures are saying that. You know, we see that discontentment leads people into sin, into getting resources in an ungodly way, gambling and so on. And that tent is a tent that is devoid of the Christian. That discontentment is to be put off the fourth one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Where Paul is saying that he is weak with an infirmity, and so I'm entitling this one our weakness. Be content in our weakness. Some of us recognize our bodies are, are not what they once were. Some of us are recognizing that we have abilities that are diminishing in certain areas. But here's, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, 
lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, why rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. God has given us the example of Jesus, his son. He came to earth this Christmas day, humbled himself, became poor so that he could save us. We hear the, the phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. And there's truth to that. But deeper than that, we are the reason. He came because of us. He lowered himself. He humbled himself. He gave up the glories of heaven so that we could have that part of his family. God showed his, his power to us through the life of Jesus. And he's promised that he will give us a place with him as we accept that. Our weakness. You know, in our weakness, God shines if we let him in. If we are macho and we can make life on our own, he's dimmed. But when we recognize his power in our life and we let people see it's, it's what God is doing in our life, he can be glorified. We all have a part in the, in the body of Christ. We all have a part in the church. Every one of you has a part to play. Every one of you is important. We can become discontent about our part. But God needs every one of us. We each have a place that nobody else is going to fill the same way as we fill it. You each have a street address. Your family has the same address. You help make up that community, but nobody else has that address. Nobody else has exactly the makeup that God has given to you, and you have a place to fill. Don't be discontent with yourself, your gift, or what you view as your weaknesses. Content or discontent. Have I been complaining or have I been okay with where God has me? With my wage, with my possessions, with food and raiment, and with my weakness. I'm going to look at two examples yet. I'd like to go to 2 Kings chapter 4. Second Kings chapter 4 is the Shunammite woman who gave to Elisha when he had a need. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, 
where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was, that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. Let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to me that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my people. That's contentment. She didn't want any reward for her service. She wanted to dwell among her people. She didn't need a place, a position with the king. She didn't need a reward from the captain of the host. Find our place and fill it. The second example is in 2 Samuel chapter 19. We have a man who gave of his goods to help King David. His name is Barzaliah in chapter 19, verse 31. Barzaliah was a Gileadite who came down from Rogelim and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. Now Barzaliah Barzillai was a very aged man, fourscore, 80 years old. And he had provided the king of sustenance while he lay at Mahanium, for he was a very great man. And the story goes on, and it says here that David wanted to give him something for his service. He wanted to actually take him back to Jerusalem and to give him a place in the king's house. And verse 37 says, what his response was. Let thy servant, I pray thee, turn back again, that I may die in mine own city and be buried by the grave of my father and of my mother. Behold, thy servant Chimam, let him go over with my lord the king and do to him what shall seem good unto thee. That was contentment. He was old enough. He said, I'm not going to contribute anything in Jerusalem for you. You're gonna, it's going to be a burden for you to care for me. He was content to die and to be buried with his father and mother and to be in his own land. He didn't need anything more. Notice in both of these accounts, we have people that were unselfishly giving to the benefit of somebody else. Contentment is revealed by how we give in so many ways. Discontentment is also seen by how we grab and how we want to keep for ourselves. So the young person that gave the suggestion for this message this morning, my challenge for you is to remember it's not what we have in abundance. It's what we share that brings fulfillment. The tent of contentment is a tent that God wants us to live in. 
Godliness and contentment go hand in hand. And God can lead us into his will when we are content. Discontentment tends to lead us outside of God's will. Contentment lays hold on what is eternal, what is permanent. And Paul said in Philippians, our text, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's by the strength that Christ gives that we can do without and be content. It's by his strength we can go through the circumstances that he has us in. On this side of glory, we're going to have circumstances that are not favorable. But again, is the power of God going to be seen in our life through that? Or are we going to neglect focusing beyond the here and the now? The richest person on earth is the person that can be content with what they have. Jesus came, he did the will of the Father, he came and completed the plan of salvation, saw the need of humankind, was content that that was his spot to fill, and he filled it. Are we filling our spot? May God be honored through our life. Let's kneel together for prayer. Father, I thank you for this Christmas day, and I thank you for each person and the opportunity they have to be a part of your work. Thank you for salvation through Jesus. And this day is about Jesus coming, but it's really about us having hope for our, lost, our lostness. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to live for you. Thank you for the things you've provided for us, for our basic needs, and more beside. Help us to be generous in sharing with others. Forgive us for those times we've lived in discontentment. Bless each one today. Bless our family times. Bless our focus on uh, the thoughts, reflections of this year. In Jesus' name, amen.